In the face of injustice, neutrality can sometimes seem like a sensible response. Capitulation makes one morally culpable, while resistance can bring about consequences for those who challenge the status quo. And so, neutrality, however long it remains a seemingly viable option, is chosen as a means of avoiding the stain of immorality while avoiding the risk of endangering oneself. Those who are the recipients of injustice do not have the luxury of such a choice. For them, the only choices are to capitulate or to resist. In our discussion of the American church and its response to racism, we cannot forget those who are directly affected by racism, those who are the targets. African Americans in the 19th to 20th century were forced to respond in various ways to the multiple forms racism took in American society. And the ways in which they responded can help us understand how the American church has gotten to the place it is in today. On this episode, we're joined by Dr. Malcolm Foley, whose doctoral research focused specifically on this topic. His expertise, not only as a scholar, but also as a pastor, tackles this heavy topic from both an academic and practical standpoint. In our conversation, we ask, how can the response of African-American Protestants in the past help us understand the American church today? Can there be a balance between the harsh realities of the past and the idealization of history? How can we avoid despair in our pursuit of justice? How can today's church leaders carry on the work that started before them? All that and more on this edition of the podcast. We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, where faith and culture meet. another episode of Questions from the Pew. I'm your host, Riker Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. Hey, pumped to be in season six here. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> With us today, is it season six already? Yeah, time flies. That's true. Uh, with us today, we're honored to have Dr. Malcolm Foley. Um, he, um, I think for the series that we're in, um, his voice and his research, his interests, will be pretty um, important in the discussion. A little bit about him. He received a bachelor's degree in religious studies with a second major in finance and a minor, correct me if I'm wrong, in classics. That's correct. Um, From Washington University in St. Louis. He also received a Master of Divinity uh, from Yale Divinity School. And he graduated with a PhD in religion from Baylor University. Woot woot. School that I'm at. Yeah. Discussing... We'll be discussing his research, his dissertation, uh, a little bit uh, today. Um, again, I think his interests and that dissertation will be helpful in uh, kind of the questions that we're getting at uh, for this series. Uh, he's also the director of Black Church Studies at George Truett uh, Seminary here at Baylor um, and serves as a special advisor to the president for equity and campus engagement. He also serves as the co-pastor at Mosaic Waco, where he serves with his wife, Desiree. 
Great. Well, Dr. Foley, thanks for, for joining us, taking yeah. a little bit of time out of your day to, to talk to have with you us on. today. Good to, good to be here. Always, always happy to talk about this stuff. <laughs> great, great. Well, maybe we can, uh, I know that I offer just that very short bio and really anyone can find that information on a website, but uh, I want to, you know, hear a little bit maybe from you about your personal background, your educational background, what you would like to highlight maybe that isn't highlighted on, you know, a short bio that you would find on a website. Yeah. Um, so I was a math science and computer science kid. Uh, so when I was in, when I was in first grade, there was a, there was a teacher that kind of noticed that I really liked math. And so she took me and another kid in my class aside, tutored us. And then in second, in second grade, I was in a, I was in a math class with fourth graders. And then in third grade, I was with sixth graders. And then I had exhausted essentially the math of that school. So I had to go to another school for math like that, that set, that set a particular trajectory for me. And so I spent a lot of time with folks who would then go on to go pre-med and engineering and stuff. Uh, but when I was a sophomore in high school, I took a comparative religion class. Teacher was an atheist, really had an issue with Christianity. And I, and I grew up in the church. It was something, it was, it was just, it was just kind of something that I, that I assumed to be true. Uh, and so I was like, well, let me let me actually be able to back this up and so and so and so he and i started started trading trading books back and forth um he he, he just recently retired but whenever i whenever i went back home i would always kind of check in check in on him um we became we became we became friends um but that set me on a trajectory to thinking especially more deeply about church history and, and theology um did the religious studies degree um but paired it with finance because i was like i did all this math i got to I got to do, I got to do something with it. Um, and in between my junior and senior year, um, I was interviewed. This is, and this is all going to be relevant. When we talk about uh, <laughs> the research and, and like, and what, what I'm doing with it now. Um, in between junior and senior year, I, I interviewed for investment banking firms. So I did that. Um, I did that interview process over the course of those interviews. I was like, actually, you know, I don't actually want to do this. And so, and so I applied to, so I applied to seminaries instead. Um, so then, then that, you had to go the down natural that road. Next step. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right, exactly, right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so, and so now, you know, as I'm, as I'm, as I'm writing a book, um, about how, uh, basically how exploitative and racist, uh, a capitalistic political economy is like, it's all, it's all coming together. It's all coming together now. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So did so did seminary, and then and then on to the on to the PhD. And my my intention was to do work on on the early church fathers, specific, specifically the Greek the Greek church fathers. Um, and uh, and it turned out that that was not what I was supposed to do my research on. Um, so so yes, yeah, so it's been a it's been a it's been a journey. It's been a journey through, like I said, through math science. And your science through the through the church fathers through Calvin through the Puritans to lynching, so that's that's the wow that was it's a winding road, <laughs> yeah for sure. And so what was the because you you also serve as uh, the co pastor at mm -hmm. Mosaic Waco what's uh what's that like kind of balancing those yeah. you know two worlds well the way that I the way that I narrate it is. Um, Baylor is my, Baylor is my reforming community. The church is my revolutionary community. So 
So, um, you know, just just because of the nature of what the industry of, of, of higher education is um, and the fact that, I mean, when you're dealing with universities, you're dealing with kind of larger institutions that are where where shifts where shifts happen where shifts always happen slowly um there's a there's a different kind of way to operate in those in those spaces and then as i have the opportunity to lead to lead a church with my with my co-pastor slim you know i mean we have an opportunity to speak to that congregation and say hey look this is what the scriptures say christ calls us to do let's do that He's he's called he's called he's called the church to be uh, to be an alternative social, political, and economic community. So let's do that. <laughs> um, and 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 I can say that in a space of folks who are folks whom the Lord has given the resources to actually to actually do that. Um, so as opposed to trying to do that um, at the state level or in kind of any other kind of organization you have a group of people who are who are committed who are committed to christ involved by the holy spirit and can actually can actually live the way that christ has called us to live so that's so that so 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 that's that's mm. some of the most that's the most life-giving that's that's kind of the most life-giving element of uh element of my work that all the stuff that i read and research and all that kind of stuff i do that for the purpose of the edification of the body of christ so mm. that's great that's beautiful i mean <laughs> The funny thing is, I mean, I had a question along those lines of it's been a conversation in some of the circles that I run in mm -hmm. of whether like you stay and reform the thing or you leave and you try to, you know, like start something new. Uh, yep. And that's what, so World Outspoken. Um, uh, so like the whole point of World Outspoken is like to start something new. Um, yep. But then a lot of the circles I run in and like our listeners, a lot of us find ourselves in environments that are not like revolutionary, like you said. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's just always a tension that I feel like uh, a lot of us are dealing with. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a constant. It's a constant tension. Um, it's the. It's really. Uh, I mean, in many ways, it comes down to the tension of being in, but not of the world. But that's like the. I, the our 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 lives are going to kind of constantly be a navigation sure. of that of that of that tension. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Before we dive into then your, you know, the dissertation research and your focus proper, maybe we can get to know you a little bit more. Yeah. Start off with some lighthearted questions. Sure. Um, uh, <laughs> so question one, if you had to choose, I guess, I'm assuming that you're going to fan of either one, but maybe coffee or tea? Tea, for sure. Uh, I think I've had coffee once in my life. Not, uh, <laughs> not a fan. Not a fan. Let's go. Anything worth acquiring a taste for? No. Isn't worth was, acquiring no. a taste for. <laughs> never, no. Never had the desire. I mean, like, so I mean, hot tea, hot tea, great. Um, but 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 sweet tea essentially like runs runs mm. through my veins. So <laughs> let's go. Um, early bird. Are you an early bird or a night owl? <laughs> I shouldn't stay up as late as I do. But, it, but mm. so my, my, I think my best work gets done early in the morning, but it's, it's less the, it's less the case now that, so I have a, I have an eight, I have an eight month old. And so, uh, and she's not sleeping through the night yet. And so I don't, I don't want to be up at four o'clock in the morning with her. I want to be asleep. 
so I can't say. So I, I guess I, I shouldn't in good conscience say early bird because now like I can't like I, I don't associate getting up early right now with like, you know, the rest that's supposed to be. You know, everybody's asleep and you have that time for yourself. That's what it's supposed to be. But in my in my state of life right now, that's not what it is. So Yeah, it's forced early bird, isn't it? Exactly. I, I would have said early bird a few years ago. But I, I, I feel like I can't, I can't say it now. Um, question three. Do you think technology is making us dumber or smarter? Ooh, wow. <laughs> you know... I'd say dumber. Um, it's it's the the increase of the the increase of access. It I I really do it, it, it. People people think people do think less. I think um, with 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 the with the uh, it adds a tremendous amount of convenience. But added on to that, it, it also creates a number of opportunities for disruption. <laughs> so, so I would say, I would say, I would say, what's actually happening? I, I would like it to make us smarter. It's making a yeah. lot of us dumber. <laughs> <laughs> well, then a related question then: yeah. AI, artificial intelligence, oh, like ChatGPT stuff. Is that, is that good <laughs> or bad? <laughs> I don't like it, man. I don't like it. <laughs> but not it's because, winning photo competitions. Not, well, well, and, well, and and not because. Uh, I mean, I know there's some people who like are really anxious and afraid of it. I'm it. it in many ways, it's it's just going to be an amplification or a faster version of of the humans of the humans who of the humans who shape it. Um, and I, I already distrust human nature. So, <laughs> yeah, human nature without even a little bit of regret in there. Right. It's just, it's just doing it. Ones and zeros. Oh, and, it, and, and intelligence divorced from, from wisdom is not, it's, 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 it's dangerous. So. So that's 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 I, you know I don't think it's going to you know I don't think it'll be the source of nuclear winter. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's going to be the case. But I don't. But, just another plug for the humanities. Yeah, and the importance you know, you in know, our world. We need we need we need the humanities, man. We need them. We need them. <laughs> All right, uh, and then last question: Are there any interests uh, or hobbies? Uh, that you have outside of your field or area of study. Yeah, I, you know, I would say reading, but like all of my reading is all <laughs> this stuff. Um, so video games. Uh, let's see what else. Yeah, it's mostly video games to turn my to, to, to turn my brain off. Um, <laughs> we got two gamers on. Let's the, go. On the uh oh, what yeah. are you? What, what are you? <laughs> I've been playing Zelda a bunch recently. Nice. <laughs> the Nintendo any that's my that's my nice. jam, so it's been a good time, but nice. Yeah, I've gotta I've gotta find a uh I've gotta I've gotta find another PS5 game to 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 get to get really into. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, I sent my wife to Europe, uh, I told her, Here's the thing, babe, new Zelda game comes out May twelfth. <laughs> You're not going to see me for two or three weeks. And she said, well, then you won't see me for two or three weeks. And off to Europe she went. <laughs> anyway, 
making it happen. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we got those warm-up questions. <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> this concludes our show. <laughs> Let's dive into your yeah your re- area of research then. I'd love to hear more about yeah what you focused on for your dissertation, and even um, uh, maybe if the, the book that you're working on you know if that is kind of mm-hmm. branching out from that. But like what you focused on and why. Yeah. Um, so the journey of how to get to that of how to get to the dissertation is is important. So started the PhD program when I when I applied to PhD programs I only applied to theology programs. Um, I wanted to do work on the early church fathers, links to links to Calvin. Actually, I wanted to do kind of deification and union with Christ and the Christological kind of connections between those 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 two ways of thinking. You know, over the course of thirteen hundred years uh, in that in that gap. But when I when I applied, uh, due to a series of circumstances. Um, the, actually, it was the history of Christianity concentration in Baylor that one of the professors reached out to me after I interviewed in theology and was like, hey, we think you'd be a really good fit for us. And I'm like, oh, OK, let's let's do it. <laughs> um, and at that point, what what the, what what this professor, David, David Whitford, suggested, she's like, hey, mm. let's let's do uh, Calvin looking back to the fathers. I was like, great, let's do that. Um, and so for the first few years of the program, like that's, that's what I, that's what I did. Um, and then I got kind of disillusioned with kind of the glut of Calvin scholarship. And so I was like, well, let me just do the Puritans then. I like the Puritans too. So I had a guy, had a guy that I was going to do my dissertation on. His name is Edward Polehill. Lived from 1622 to 1694. He was a justice of the peace who retired and then wrote a bunch of theology. And his first and, and and his first book, uh, John Owen wrote the wrote the wrote the preface to it, and was like, I've, I've never heard of this guy, but we need more lay people in the Church of England like him. I was like, great. He's got a great book on, uh, called uh, Christus and Corday, uh, the the mystical union of Christ with with believers considered in all of its resemblances, marks, privileges, seals, and bonds. You know, one of those classic, <laughs> riveting, classic, title. classic yeah. Puritan title. Uh, great book, but. I, I was all I was I was set up. I was going to do that, and then I took a class on Christianity after the Civil War, and we're talking about the fundamentalist modernist controversy. And the thing that's going through my mind the, that entire time is, wait a minute, black men, women, and children are being set on fire in in front of crowds of thousands of people around this time. Why are what's are we are we saying are we saying something about that? Also, like, what are churches doing and saying about it? Um, and so I started looking for books and articles to answer that question, and I couldn't find it. I found mm-hmm. maybe an art, like an article here, a few, a few paragraphs. But I'm like, this is a massive, this is a massive issue. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I mean, we talk about this era as the progressive era or whatever. This is a, this is an era of terror for Black Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and. And if it's the case that particularly the church is the most is the most 
which is the most powerful social institution in that in that community in that time, it, it, it would make sense for me to look there for those for those methods of, of resistance. So what the dissertation is, um, is in the period of from 1890 to 1919, which is basically the height, basically the height, the height of lynching and, and before the um, before the NAACP's anti-lynching campaign kind of really, really picks up steam. I want to ask the question of what are the what are some of the modes of resistance coming out of coming out of black churches during that during that period? Um, and so I've just kind of map it on. So, 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 so I'm looking at uh, there are some sermons that I look at from from black Presbyterian pastor Francis Grimke. Um, there's there's book of book of poetry from um, from the founder of the Church of Christ Holiness, Charles Price Jones, uh, a number of uh, of of, of articles from the denominational newspaper, the uh, uh, the Christian Reporter, which comes out of the AME Church, but basically like this, using this kind of hodgepodge of sources to um, to frame kind of a landscape of hey, these are the ways that these these are these are the ways that Af that that Afro American Christians are, are thinking about um, how to deal with basically a culture of 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 terror. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the fundamental question is, you know, how do, how did, how did, how, how did these folks thrive in a, in a, in a, in a culture that wanted them, wanted them, they wanted them dead, exploited and exploited and dead. Mm -hmm. Um, because the other kind of broader point is that it's also not, I mean, the goal, the goal of Jim Crow, this is a, this is a point that, um, historian Barbara, Barbara Fields says it this way, that, that, that Jim Crow was not meant to kill uh its purpose was for uh basically for white for white and black people to be able to live separate lives together <laughs> mm -hmm. um because the point because the, there 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 were the you know efforts for kind of colonization um in the in the uh, uh in the in the 19th century but with both both jim crow it's let's set let's set a status quo where your together but it's very clear it's very clear mm -hmm. who's in who's in who's in charge um and that and that in many ways um that in many ways shapes uh i mean not only kind of racism historically but the construction but but the purpose of the construction of race in the first place but that goes mm -hmm. that goes beyond that's the that's the book that i'm doing now which is which is an which is an extension it's an extension of the dissertation the dissertation is very is very simply hey here's here's what folks here's what folks were saying um and and this has been this has been largely uh it's been largely ignored for a for a number of reasons um but but this is what this is what was being said um the book that i'm doing now for brazos press is using is using some of this research but but framing it framing it more broadly um thinking about race uh as um part of a, a demonic cycle of self-interest that begins in political and economic exploitation, continues in violence, which is which is necessary to continue that exploitation. Um, and then because very few of us are uh, conscienceless monsters, um, we created we create the category, we specifically created the category of race in order to maintain, in order to maintain that cycle. Um, and so you can think about it, you know, as an as an example. You can think about uh, you, you can think about racialized chattel slavery. Um, the initial uh, the initial thought of particularly the Portuguese was not oh these people are black let's enslave them. 
it's we have markets we need to expand. Slavery is a really uh, it's really cheap force of cheap force of labor, a cheap cheap source of source of source of labor. Um, and so, but 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 as that as that machine gets running, in all of its violence and in all of its exploitation, you need to you, you need to tell the pope something. <laughs> Hmm. And so, and so, using the categories, so so creating, essentially creating the categories of particularly blackness and whiteness, um, using the language of savagery and civilization, all of these things, um, all of these things are ways to talk about what you're doing, um, in ways that kind of mask and cloud the fact that greed is what lies underneath, uh, is what is what lies underneath all of this. So, yeah. so this, I actually have a little bit of a question related to that and what yeah. you were saying about the. NAACP campaign yes. to, uh, like, you know, make lynching, I guess, not palatable anymore, is this whole, uh, this whole idea of as we progress, or I don't know if that's the right word, but as time goes by, you know, things become less palatable. You know, slavery, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, it's not pal- palatable anymore. Lynching becomes mm-hmm. less palatable. Mm-hmm. Jim Crow becomes less palatable, you know, whatever. We're learning about the war on drugs, you know, or, you know, moral majority, all the more recent stuff. Um, so I guess do you – I guess what causes this changing uh, – I guess like what people can stomach or a lot of times like what the majority <clears throat> can stomach. And then do you consider that progress or – yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think, think – um, <laughs> I gave a talk at Wheaton. Uh, this is – I think it was hey, last that's year. That's my alma mater. Uh, <laughs> Oh, nice! Yeah. Oh, nice! I love a, I love a lot of the I love a lot of the folks there. Yes. Uh, so there there is a way to frame Amer- like this country's history with racism as a uh, as as somewhat of a kind of um, story of moral of moral progress. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think that uh, I think that I think that because what we're fundamentally talking about is is a demonic reality. I think what I think what we actually see is we deal with particular manifestations and then it and then it hides and gets and gets smarter. Sure. And so and so for so for example, even even look at kind of why why lynching, specifically spectacle lynching, why spectacle lynching fades. It fades not necessarily because of a not not necessarily because of a moral revolution, but really it becomes it becomes bad for southern business. Um, and so, and so, with the with not only the kind of industrialization of the South, but also with the um, but but also with the Great Migration, one of the one of the one of the single one of the, one of the single most important factors that leads to the that that leads to the fall of spe- of specifically spectacle lynching is the fact that six million Afro Americans leave the South and go the mm-hmm. and go to the North over the sure. over the course of the over the course of the of the twentieth century. Um, with that, the violence actually goes with them because they because because in the because in the major metro, in the in the cities that they go to, they also find that their homes are bombed and stuff like that because they become because they because they become competitive labor in those cities that those that 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 sure. that, 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 that folks who were there weren't 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 prepared for and 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 mm-hmm. and, and and so when it comes to even the history of lynching. I'm thinking not just about the lynching of Afro-Americans, but the lynching of Chinese workers in the West, lynching of Mexican mm-hmm. folks in the uh, uh, in Southern Texas and stuff. A lot of these things come down to up uh, even even the individual cases um, will be labor labor disputes um, mm-hmm. because when because what because the, because when 
when money gets involved, violence, sure. violence often, often comes, often comes along, often comes alongside it. Um, and so, so yeah, so I think, um, you know, I think we, and then, and there's, and, and, and there's also, I mean, there's also the role of the role of media in all of these things too. So there's, there's kind of the role that the role that pictures played in the, in the abolitionist movement, the role that, um, you know, that, that, the role that pictures play even even in even in the, the anti-lynching movement tv and the sure. in the in the civil rights movement social media now like all like all sure. like oh there's those mm -hmm. those those things uh draw attention to things that people uh may may not have seen on a regular basis but but the but the but the presence of them is constant even if people even if people don't don't sure. don't see them so like so so for example over the course of the lynching era um even though the numbers fade 1892 is the worst year of is the worst year of lynching in uh, in american history and like the next i mean the 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 decade of the of the 1900s is bad too but then the numbers start to fade but in the minds of people you going from hearing about a lynching once a week to hearing about it once every two weeks that's not prog like like like, like that's not sure. that's not progress <laughs> the fact that yeah. you're hearing about it at all is is a is a is a is a terrifying is a terrifying prospect So when you say uh, spectacle lynching, then mm -hmm. that's n not lynching, you know, out, out in the field somewhere, but like as a public event. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So 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 spectacle lynchings like that of uh, like that of Jesse Washington in Waco, um, Sam Hose in Noonan, Georgia, um, Henry Smith in, in Paris, in Paris, Texas. These these specific incidents where you have thousands of people gathering um, gathering around this, around this event. Um, and not all of the, like of the upwards of, of 3000, um, black, mostly men, um, killed over the course of, uh, like from roughly 1883 to 1941 of those, I mean, all of those are not, all of those are not spectacles. Um, all of those are not, uh, are not spectacles, but, a, but a lot of them, but a lot of them, a lot of them are. Um, and that's what, Ida B. Wells and others are, I mean, kind of really, really camp, really campaigning against. Um, but they're campaigning against all, all, all of it. But that's what I'm, that's what mm -hmm. I'm referring to when I, when I refer to spectacle okay. and mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, in that, in that context, then in that cultural milieu, as you were researching, did you see any common threads in terms of the kinds of survival strategies utilized by these communities? Yeah. So I have four, um, four basic categories. So one, um, is the more, I say kind of the more, the more politically conservative, uh, approach, which, which in my, which in my definition only means, uh, they, they're, these are folks who are not advocating for, uh, 
they're not advocating for humans to be the agents of an overthrowing of the status quo, saying it that way. Mm. Um, so it may be prayer, like it may be prayer that the Lord will, up, you know, will upend all this stuff. Right. Um, but for but for but for us, the response is to pray because the Lord's the only one who can who can who can save us. Paired with paired with that is also a um, what what can be seen as moral as moral suasion. So basically, if we um, if we if we don't commit these crimes that white people are accusing us of, then they'll stop killing us. Mm. It's one one approach. Um, then you have. Uh, then you then you also have folks who think that this is an issue of education. Um, so if uh, so, not not just kind of if the world knows what's going on, then they'll then they'll stop. Um, but 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 kind of this assumption that if you if you know if you know the good, then you'll do then you'll do the good. Um, and so um, and so and so folks want to want want to invest in kind of a broader campaign of. Not only not only moral education, but also historical education. Understand kind of what what's 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 going on in these spaces um, that can lead to the less violent outcomes. You got the politically conservative. You got the you got the educational. You got the um, the 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 kind of modes of political activism that we would be that we would be used to. So voting for particular laws, voting for particular individuals. Um, but this can also include things like uh, emigration, so leaving the South. Uh, hmm. which is a, which is, which would be a political act, things like, things like boycotts, all the, like all those, all those kinds of things in this third category. Um, and then the fourth category is, uh, is armed self-defense. And you have folks who over the course of time, uh, so I, I, I wrote, I wrote a, there's a book chapter in a book called, uh, every leaf line and letters on evangelicals in the Bible, but I did a chapter there on, uh, on Grimke and lynching and, and particularly his progression from, being in this education camp in 1899 to seven years later in 1906, when you have the Atlanta race riots, where race riots, race riots in the early 20th century are just mass lynchings. Um, that's that's what they, it's just, if if any black people fight back, it becomes a riot. Um, and so, and so that's, that's essential. But you can, but you can, but you can see these, I mean, you can see these throughout the, throughout the country um, at this, uh, at this, at this time where essentially you have you have uh, you have white mobs that that essentially will ransack black neighborhoods and, and burn businesses and homes and things like that. But this happens in Atlanta in 1906, and uh, and Grimke writes a writes a writes a sermon a uh, few weeks a few weeks after, basically saying that the only way to stop a mob is to is to shoot it to death, um, or to or to or to or to dynamite it, um, and and he. It's interesting to watch his progression from thinking that education is the way forward in 1899 after the lynching of Sam Hose, and then after seeing after seeing this stuff continue, particularly over the course of those years, he's like, "Oh no! Like apparently, the only way the mob is going to stop is if the mob actually fears for its life." Um, there are and there are others who uh, there are others who who, who get there quicker, um, but uh, but 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 it's interesting to see. Um, patience fade as this goes on for years and years and years and years. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of Questions from the Pew. Uh, we're actually going to have to split our conversation with Dr. Malcolm Foley up into two parts with the second part releasing next week. So we'll see you then to finish up this conversation.
Thanks for listening to another episode. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon. It's just www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. If you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and that will help others find our podcast. Also, please comment and ask questions. You can do that by following and messaging us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. If you do leave a voicemail, please keep it under 30 seconds and tell us your name and where you're from. We'd love to include your voicemail in our Q&R episodes, but if you prefer for us not to, just let us know and we'll include your question in another way and without giving your information. The same goes for any messages you send us on social media or through text. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time.